joy to worship the Holy One of Israel. He's the Holy One of all creatures. He's the great God, great I am. Shall we pray? Father, even as your word proceeds, may it proceed from you. We are human vessels and I pray the words that come will come, Lord, with strength, with power, with your anointing. I pray that, Lord, the seed will fall on fertile soil. I pray that we will respond with hearts that are opened. Just like what, Lord, people rushed to Peter on the day of Pentecost. And I pray those words will cut through to our hearts. That will come in adoration and in worship. And we bow down to say, you are the Holy One. We seek you. We honor you. We respond to you. In Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Praise the Lord. And, and always a joy as a church to come together. Uh, today, um, I would like to share on the topic of worship. <clears throat> and a lot of studies have been going on on that, and um, uh, just share the screen. Um, keep praying, hope the network survives through the service. And we've been having a lot of fluctuations. I want to share today on the topic of worship, and I titled it as Worship of Divine Design. And um, the word design, I also would like to tell as, an, as a pattern. And um, let me pick it up from the Garden of uh, Eden, and then we will just travel through and pause at, uh, uh, especially with Moses and Joshua. We will have time for that. And I pray that the Spirit of God will truly encourage each one of us as individuals, as families, and as a community, as a unit. We will learn the design, understand the design. It's nothing new. It's in the Word. It's, it's, it's over 3,000 years old. These patterns will not change. We will change. The things of God doesn't change. It's not old school for God. It is the truth eternal. And whenever God works in our lives, the boundary with which God defines his working is his word. He will never work beyond the boundary line of his word. And that's why we insist on the word of God, even in our worship pattern. If so I want to tell you and, and probably open the word for us today and, and, and allow us to observe the design of God in the making of humanity, the design of God in kingdom living, the design of God for us in victory and why we worship, why we begin with opening prayer. Why do we have a set of songs to be sung? Why the worship leader says, lift your hands and now praise him. Now proclaim the fruit of the lips that come out. And, and why do we do that? What's the design? What's the pattern? Let's get into it today and let's observe. And I pray that even as the word comes out, there will be that inclination, that spurring, that, that passion to worship God right where we are seated. I know we are unable to meet as a community, but understand the design of God. Let's get into the Garden of Eden. Now, excuse me for the font that is, uh, I put down. Uh, I, I put on purpose just to say that there is also a design. Uh, there's a pattern that God wants us to understand. Now, the Garden of Eden is just not Lal Bark. It's not Kaban Bark. It's not, it's not just go out, chill out. It's much more than that. And God conceived, he could, God could have conceived an island, God could have conceived Himalayas, God could have conceived icebergs, but he conceived a garden and he designed it in a certain way for us to get wisdom out of that and to know the pattern of how he works with us. Now, the Garden of Eden has got three segments and I'm comparing that with the typical tabernacle design. Now, Eden is a region. Just imagine it's like a country. It's like a region. See, Galilee is a region. Galilee is not a country. It's a region. Karnataka is a region. 
so there are different different parts in districts in Karnataka, places in Karnataka. So Eden is a region, and in the east of Eden, I'm quoting Genesis two eight onwards. So, so in the east of Eden, you have a garden, and then in the middle of the garden, you have the dealings of God. God would come in the cool of the day. God would move, and that the tree of life and tree of knowledge of good and evil, those were there. And, and that, that was a place of the activity of God. So it's, it's the design of the outer court. And then you have the holy place. And then you have the most holy place. Today, we, we begin to sing those songs of holy, holy, and holy is the Lord, bow down before him and, and, and cry out holy. That all happens right here. So we will understand the design a little bit. So when God placed Adam in Eden, it's much more than a time for rest and relaxation. It's much more than trying to say, okay, fine. God just said, no, nothing to do. Just enjoy the garden and eat some fruits. It's much more than that. And so let's look at one verse to define the real purpose, the express purpose for which God put man in the garden. Why garden? Can one man take care of a huge garden? Did man really work in the garden? What was the primary function? Genesis 2.15. There are three words which we'll pick out. And then we will try to get a little bit Hebrew on that and try to understand uh, the terms there. Genesis 2.15, I put it down in three uh, usual translations. The Lord God took man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. My goodness, one man working alone in the garden is injustice, you know. Lockdown, we ourselves live, living in a small house, how much it is. Can you imagine early morning, Adam goes on, takes a water hose pipe and watering the garden, whole day alone. Is that the express purpose of God? There must be much more than that. And take care of it. One man taking care of it. Go down to Genesis 2.15, you have something more. The Lord God took man and placed him in the garden of Eden in order to have him work it and guard it. So second half, you have another shade of meaning, guard it, guard something. What is that guarding? <clears throat> One man trying to guard. Did God give him pistols or ammunition or, or, or some defense mechanism? Where is the army? Guard it. What, what should Adam guard in the garden? Now, when you come to the literal translation, and Jehovah God taketh the man and causeth him to rest, aha, rest in the garden, Shabbat, rest, but there's another meaning to that. Rest in the garden, and then you got two functions, serve it and keep it. So we're going to take these three uh, words that we have, rest, serve it, and keep it, and understand a little underlining meaning for these three simple words in Hebrew. Point number one, put. The word put in Hebrew is nuak. From this word nuak, you get the word noah. Noah means rest, and God did not want to punish the mankind after the deluge. And so the primary purpose of God in putting Adam in the garden was to enjoy his kind of rest. His kind of rest. I will take care of the garden. I'll plan the garden. I know what is good for you. Day one, day two, day three, day five, day six. I know how to plan. But Adam, my design for you is so that you'll enjoy rest. Enjoy me. Enjoy rest. Enjoying God is as good as enjoying his rest. Second word is the word work. The word work, Hebrew word is abad. If you know this book, I think Pastor Prem uh, uh, preached on, on the book of Obadiah. Obad 
Abad means serve. Yah means Yahweh. So Obadiah means servant of Yahweh. So Abad means serve. Now, hold on. The word serve and the word worship are both sides of the same coin in Hebrew. Now, to serve is also to worship. Just like Jesus hits out at Satan and says, worship the Lord and serve him. He uses a conjunction and put these two. Worship and serving are one and the same. Let's go to another scripture to see that. <clears throat> Exodus 3.12. When the Lord brought the people out of Egypt, you got to serve God on this mountain is one version. NKJV. NIV uses the word worship God on this mountain. So worshiping him and serving him are one and the same. Intrinsically intertwined together. Exodus 8.1, let my people go that they may serve me, NKJV, NIV, let my people go that they may worship me, set them free from this 400 years of bondage so that worship will happen. Look at the design of God. So we've got two words. One is put, put means nuwak, nuwak means rest. Second, we have the word abad, work, which means worship. Third word, you have the word keep. <clears throat> The word keep in Hebrew is shamar. Shamar means to keep as in obey. So when you say shamar me, that means to obey him. Like keep my word, obey my word. If you love me, you keep my word. If you love me, you obey my commandments. And so you have three words with meaning. Put means rest. Abad means worship or serve. Shamar means keep or obey. Both are one and the same. Let's look at this keep and obey in different translations. Genesis 79, Abraham, as for you, you will keep my covenant. NLT says your responsibility is to obey my covenant, the terms of my covenant. So I'm just trying to balance it out and say the word keep means obey. Now let's go down. And look at the serve and keep in two different verses, which means kind of worship and obey. To serve is to obey, to keep, or to serve is to worship, and to keep is to obey. Now, Israel, what does the Lord God require of you? But to fear the Lord and to walk in all his ways, to love him and to serve the Lord and keep the Lord's commandments. Living Bible, obey for your own good and to worship him. So serve means worship, keep means obey. Now let's put Genesis 2.15 together. What do you get? What's the express purpose of the garden? What's the design in the garden? Therefore, God caused Adam to rest in the garden so that he could serve, worship him, keep, obey his word. So the primary calling of Adam in the garden is not to hold a hose pipe and water all the trees and pluck and, 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 and get on to having a huge industry in, in all the farming. No, 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 hold on. In other sense, God said to Adam, you will enjoy my rest when you worship me and obey my word. That's Amazing Grace International Version there, yeah. You will enjoy my rest when you worship me and obey my word day one from the day one the design of God for mankind is worship me obey me and God was 
was so serious about that, that he created the garden with the design of a temple and brought Adam right into the place of intimacy in the middle of the garden and walk with him. I put it down in this way. We were created with the express purpose to worship and obey God. This is the pathway to enjoying his rest. Where is my money, Lord? Where's my job? Where's my marriage? When are you going to answer prayer? When are you going to take me out? What about my visa? What about my children? What about my healing? Hold on. The pathway to rest is not to get our prayers answered in the way that we pray. But the pathway to God's rest is to learn to worship him. Learn the design of God in worshiping and obeying his word. That's the crux of the matter to enjoy God, to enjoy his rest. These things are fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And if, you know, let, let me get back to our church when you have, uh, you know, those days, I hope we have that cloth again. We used to have a tablecloth in the church and then you have a verse down. Yeah. Anybody knows that verse? You want to type it down in chat box? Let me see. Let's have a little bit of interaction on Sunday morning. I'm unable to get the usual Pentecostal hallelujahs, you know. What's that verse, anybody? Anyone? Come unto me. All who are weary, and I will give you, I will give you rest, the rest, his kind. That's the design. It's fulfilled in Jesus. So you worship Jesus, you obey Jesus, you have everything that is hidden in Christ. That's the pathway of divine rest. So worship is a design. It's a, it's a pattern. There's a pattern in worship, and that's the pathway that we can have to enjoy the rest in God. Your prayers may not get answered. Yes, there might be that sickness that's running around. Yes, the trouble might be looming. Yes, things might be haywire, but we know how to get rest. The pathway of divine rest is worship and obedience. There's no discount in that. Now let me come down to say, okay, fine. I'm going to worship all day long, but who, who worked in the garden? And I pray that even as we travel through the word today, you'll know that how God intertwines with us in working for us. Who worked in the garden? Adam was learning worship lessons and learning lessons on obedience, but who worked in the garden? I just want to bring out seven points there to say that God worked in the garden. God planted the garden. It was not Adam. God planted. God worked. Gardening is tough. No wonder we didn't take it up. You know, Sunita is getting inspired right now, but after Pastor Prem comes and goes, you know, one, one visit on the gardening. God watered the garden. How? He used four rivers. Adam did not water the garden. It was God. God brought all the animals. Adam just had to name them. Can you see that teamwork? Worship is a place of engaging with God in diverse manners. And that's what we learned in the garden. God brought the animals. Just imagine God working, God bringing that. And this created being, dust, flesh. And he has to name them. God saw that it was not good for for man to be alone. God took notice of him. God paid attention to the movements and the feelings of Adam. God decided to make a suitable helper. He thought there was a thought process. God took time to design a helpmate. God was working in the garden. It was not the work of Adam there. He was not sweating it out for sweat came after the curse. The primary work was about worship him, obey him. God, that sphere of worship was the primary calling of Adam. Six, God caused Adam to sleep. My goodness. Should you, should you cause an adult to sleep? 
put him to sleep like a mother would do for a baby. God did that. And God made the woman come out of the rib. So you can look at just in this, this just the chapter two there. The working of God, but God had one express purpose for man. God, this design, the day this design of worship and obedience is broken, you are evicted from this design. You lose rest. Chapter three, the enemy comes to break one design, one pattern in our life. That is worship and the word. Mind you, every Sunday when we meet, if you've been a Christian for 20 years, 15 years, 10 years, five years, one year, one thing that's been emphasized over and over again in our worldview, in our faith worldview, like Hebrews 11 worldview, is every Sunday that we meet, we have these two elements, worship and word. That's the design of God. So that when we guard this design through the week, we have results in our Christian life. We know how to walk by faith. We know how to live our life. The first attack was not on property. The first attack was not on fruit. The first attack was not on, on man's health. The first attack was on the design of God. What's the design? The worship and the word design. I'm too busy for worship. I'm too busy for word. I know it's not happening in a house. My life is not about this. I'm sorry if you miss the design, you miss the rest. If you miss the design, you miss the garden. If you miss the design, you miss the presence. That's the first thing that we lost. And God is trying to underline and emphasize that throughout his, his history making and his nation building. And so let's just move straight to the same design that God wanted to emphasize after 400 years of bondage straight into the wilderness. The divine design in the wilderness. This nation of God, slaves for 400 years, no literature, no education, no development, no civilization. They were nomads, basically shepherds. And, and, and they were not asked to mingle with Egyptians. So they got a good land at Goshen. They were kind of ostracized, whipped, beaten slaves. And after 400 years, they're coming out and God says, Go challenge Pharaoh. Watch this. Watch this, people of God. Go challenge Pharaoh. He says, let my people go that they may worship me. Not build a city. Watch this. Let my people go that they build a city. Let my people go that they build a tower. Let my people go that they start their own independent democracy. No. Let my people go. And what happened in the 40 years of wilderness? God was patterning a design for worship for the nation. I just want to show that. It's very powerful. Very powerful. God for 40 years was designing a nation. Mind you, God did not give them design for how to build cities. What's the architecture? What's the bedroom size? What should be you know, the colors of your, your, your curtains and, and, and how you need to do the city planning? No, there's some other design that God was more emphasizing than other settlements. So let's go down straight. <clears throat> so let's establish, when you brought these people out of Egypt, you shall serve God, worship God. I'm taking you out to learn my design of worship. Let my people go that they may worship me. The heart cry of God is that somehow, some way, these people will learn the design that they lost in the garden. What Adam lost. The, the, the design of worship and word was attacked. And God was emphasizing that in his, the whole new way through Moses' deliverance over the people. Now, God was teaching them worship and word. I'm going to come to that. But who took care of them in the garden? 
Let me go straight to our faith. When we learn to worship him and obey him, he knows how to take care of us. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. All these things will be added to you. Never sacrifice worship on the altar of your work. Never sacrifice worship on the corporate altar. Never sacrifice worship on the mammon's altar. Who will pay my bills if I don't work? I'm not trying to say cessation. I'm not trying to push there. No, God wants to enter into every sphere of our life so that he will intermingle. He will come as a partner. He will intertwine with mankind's affair so that we will say, your kingdom come, your will be done. That's a mandate. For 14,600 days, God took care of them. God did not say, you go work, you go eat, you go buy your food, you go do some plantation. By the way, he led them through one of the driest places, wilderness. Look at these three verses. The Lord blessed you in all the work of your hands. By the way, what work they had? Not much. Yes, they were cattle. They need to guard them through the night and through the day. Yes, they were heat of the desert and the cold through the night. He watched them. God was on 24 by 7 when the whole three and a half million people were navigating themselves without a map in the wilderness. God watches the desert, watches over them in the vast desert. For 40 years, the Lord has been with you. God did not say, you stinky people, you minuscule people, you are raised, you know, you're so stubborn. God was with them. He didn't leave them. The underlining factor is going to come, but God did not say, fine, I've set you free. I've done the big job, but now you guys take care of yourself. No, God was with them. And the last line, you did not lack anything. Wow. Who worked for them in the wilderness? God. You ate manna. Heaven's kitchen was operating for 14,600 days, fresh food every day. Anybody who stored the food, no refrigerator, mind you, it used to get spoiled. Not even a day, not even a day went by that the timing was missed as far as God was concerned. He took care of them until you came to the land that you settled. Deuteronomy 8.5, remember how the Lord, your God, led you all the way in the desert for 40 years. Your clothes did not wear out. Your feet did not swell. There was no medical stores. There was no ointments and balms to apply. There was no clothing center. There was no use and throw stuff. That same clothing, I don't know what detergent it was. I don't know what word God would speak. And I want to come to that place why these things happen. God said, if I'm with you, I will watch over you. I will take care of you. But one thing I want you to do, what's the design of God? Let's go down. Skip this here. Just, just a little um, trivia here. One U.S. Army general said, to feed three and a half million people, a lot of food was required. Moses needed 1,500 tons of food every day. Filling two flights of trains, which is a mile long. And then remember cooking food, you need 4,000 tons of firewood. That's for every day. How could you manage this for 40 years? Talking about water, if there was only water for drinking and washing dishes, no bathing, you needed 11 million gallons each day for taking care of the people of, who took care of the people of Israel? Every day, babies, elderlies, grandparents, cattle, young people, 
married, just married. Who took care of them? It's God. Why did he choose wilderness? What was his express purpose to lead them in the wilderness? One thing stands out in the scriptures. It is these two. God did not give them any other extra training lessons. He did not invite a king from Babylon or from, from, from Assyria or from Moab. No, nothing was there. God was taking them into a school so that he could offer them a design. And the design was worship. There are two things that are so prominent when Moses went up the Mount of God. He came back with tablets and he came up with a design for tabernacle. Much of the text in Exodus, Numbers and Deuteronomy, Leviticus to an extent, give us the design, design a pattern in the tabernacle. And God had something to communicate to the people. And we as New Testament Christians can draw principles from that right for us today. And the pattern of the tabernacle. And let's go down a little bit into it. We know there are three chambers in the tabernacle. The outer court, the holy place. You had the three elements. Seven golden lampstand, a table of showbread, and the altar of incense. A lot of study has been done, all pointing out to fulfillment in Jesus Christ. And then right in the small place, small chamber, the Holy of Holies. It's called the most holy place. You had the Ark of God. I always used to wonder and humbled over and over again to know that when God had a preference to come down, he chose a small place. Out of all the royal cities in the world, he chose Bethlehem. And look at, look at the humility of God. That it's not, the, the outer court is quite spacious. Holy place is okay for four or five priests to move around. But in the sacred most holy place, a little compartment, God said, I'll dwell there. Look at the majesty and the royalty of God. He stoops down. What a God we have. Those who can stoop down are the ones who can worship. And in that small place, you have something called the Ark of the Covenant. It's a piece of furniture, and then you have gold studded outside and inside, symbolizing holiness and purity. There were three elements inside, the pot of manna, the Ten Commandments, and the budded staff of Aaron. All three symbolizing the Word of God. The presence of God. Two things. Word of God, the presence of God. And God was giving them a design, training them intricately, meticulous design, giving Bezaliel and Ohiliab so much of skill and wisdom to design this because God said, this is more important. What about my house? What about my, 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 my building? What about God? I saved up of this. But God said, hold on, learn this pattern and learn this design. Let's get into it to know a little bit about this, this whole thing of designing for the community. God said, this is how I want you to learn the pattern, learn the design. God was more serious about this than anything else for the nation. And what did he do? Numbers chapter 2 and 3. Let me run through it quickly. God said, whenever you move for 40 years, learn this lesson. Learn this lesson and then you will know how to move with me. Three tribes on each side. On the north you have the camp of Dan. East you have... Uh, Judah, Issachar, and Zebulun. South side, you have God, Simeon, and Reuben. And again, west, you have Benjamin, Manasseh, and Ephraim. On all the four sides, you, you, this is the way you're going to camp every time. Look at the pattern. 
There's a design in God's working. Don't settle, don't encamp the way that you want, no. So God was prescribing a design. And then he said, there's one tribe which will not have their land, their inheritance, and they need to arrange themselves differently. And that was around this tabernacle and the Ark of Covenant. That was the tribe of Levi, the Levites. There were three brothers there, divided into three groups, the Merarites, the Gershonites, and the Kohathites. And one side is Moses and the priests. So outside you have the 12, inside you have the three plus one, four. In the center, you have God himself, the presence of God. This is the pattern. Every time you settle down, I will be in the midst of you and around you should be the priesthood, the priesthood, the Levites, the Levitical priest. And we're going to come into the function of that. And then outside of them, you have the 12 tribes camping this way. Much text goes into this arrangement. And I want to tell you, this is a power in this design. Tabernacle in the middle, I will dwell there. My presence, the Shekinah glory will be there. And around that, I want the Levitical priest. And then in the next circle, circumferencing them, you have the 12 tribes. This design, there's a power in this design. God is in the middle of it. Let's go down. What should the Levites do? This is about the Israelites. So the Israelites did everything Moses had commanded. This, that is the way they encamped under their standards. Standards is their banner. And some of them said the banners, the symbols, you know, of, of humankind and animal they had is nothing but the four living creatures. We don't have time to go there, but they encamped with the standards. And this is the way they set out. Every time you move, follow the pattern. Every time you move, ark of the covenant, the priest and the people. The ark, the priest and the people. What was in the ark? It was the word. Get the ark more sacred. Unless the ark moves, don't move. Every time you go for year after year, this is how you need to camp. This is how you need to get up. This is how you need to move. A little bit about the Levites here. Appoint the Levites to be in charge of the tabernacle. Over all its furnishings and everything belonging to it. Tabernacle was more important. Keep that in the center. Let the Levites be around it. They are to carry the tabernacle with all its furnishings. They are to take care of the tabernacle and encamp around it. Whenever the tabernacle is to move, the Levites are to take it down. And whenever the tabernacle is to set up, the Levites should do it. Anyone else approaches it will be put to death. The Israelites are there to set their tents by divisions, each in their own camp under their standard. The Levites, however, are to set their tents around the tabernacle. The Levites are responsible for the care of the tabernacle. Couple of things here. The Levites carry... And I want to slowly bring that to the New Testament application. We as the Levites, we as the priesthood, 1 Peter 2.9, we are the royal priesthood. We carry the presence of God. The pattern of our living revolves around the presence of God. Anything that comes in between spoils the design. God was not giving them fancy architectural designs to get their own buildings. I think it was time during Haggai and the Lord sends a prophetic word. You're so busy with your own designs of your houses. You forgot my design. I pray that we will understand that worship design of God for our Christian kingdom living is to keep him in the center. We camp around it. 
priests of the family, men and women of God, our primary calling is to guard the presence of God like Levites. When we miss that guarding of the presence, we lose the design, we lose the battle. Look at the word camp, 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 camp. Come back to our families. Let me tell you, yes, we've been missing the church for over a year, but I want to tell you, we as the people of God, and let me talk to the families right now. We as the camp of God, the centrality in our camp is the presence of God. We miss the tabernacle. We miss the ark. We miss the presence. We miss the design of how God wants us to move forward. We lose the battle. So the Levites and the priesthood was so crucial to the dealings of God. You want victory? Follow my pattern. You want your prayers answered? Follow my pattern. You want to be fed in the wilderness? Follow my pattern. You have enemy coming and attacking you? Follow my pattern. This is my design. I will be in the center. Around it are the Levitical priests. And then you have the, this, this is the way you move forward. Worship is a design. It, it baffles humankind the way God uses it. Let's go down. David made a blunder with the ark. For 42 years, nobody bothered the ark. It was in Kiryat Jerem, corner of the city. When David became the king, I think the pastor was preaching last week, a man after God's own heart. He said, I need this. I need the centrality of God in my life. And now I've got the city of David. He went and conquered the Jebusites. Now he's got his own city, Zion, and then you know, other things. We have different names for it. It's called the city of David. When he said, when I want to establish the city, he said, forget about me building. Let me get the ark of God. Let me pause here to put it just, just to divert there. Solomon took seven years to build the temple, but 14 years to build his palace. David, we don't have mention about those things, but he was hungry for the tent of God. Yes, he had his, his palace and other things, but his longing as a king was, I wish I was a doorkeeper. I wish I, 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 I discharged the duties and one thing I ask of you that I may come and dwell upon your beauties and write a couple of more songs. Oh God, know you, your, your perfections. And when it come to the ark of God, he wanted to bring it to the city. He had a big, big fanfare there. He followed all the rules, but except one. He took the ark of God, put it on a cart. This cart was the Philistine technology. But he messed up there. When the, when, when the presence of God was put on the cart and, and, and Uzzah and Ahio were guiding them, God was angered with that. And then he realized, he went and sat down, he realized and he knew one thing, presence of God should be carried on the soldiers, uh, shoulders of the Levites. We carry the presence of God. Even if it's heavy, even if it's you need to put them on your shoulder, you can't outsource the presence of God. We carry Christopher. Christopher means carrier of the presence. Today, we as a church, we should carry the presence of God. No, you know that you are the temple and the presence of the Holy Spirit is in you. We carry the presence. This is the design. At home, we pray and we worship. At church, we pray, we worship, we read the word, and then we get back to our workplaces. What do you do? We carry the presence of God. Don't outsource it. They will do. This will do. Put it on a new cart technology. No, the presence of God dwells in you. No wonder in worship, 
One of the burdens I'm having is let not outsource, let us not outsource worship to electronic sounds. When we come together, let's open our mouth and let there be the sound of praise for we carry the presence of God. Worship happens on the inside and let it flow outside for we carry. That's another comment. Let me come down to what should Levites do. They bear the ark, they stand before God and they bless his name. We as the priesthood, this is our calling. This is the design. One thing that we need to be so conscious in, in today's world is to guard the presence. Guard the presence. I want to underline that. Guard the presence. For there is the power of God that is manifested. Stand before the presence. The old school is to say, pray every day. Read the Bible every day. But that the inner essence is this. You bear the presence of God. You stand before God every day. No wonder we say wake up in the morning or probably the time that is convenient to you. Stand before him so that you will not cringe before the world. Bless the name of the Lord. I want to tell you the power of the design. We talked about the design itself. Let me come to the power of the divine design. This formation of God in the center the priesthood around it, proclaiming, blessing, standing. And that the community on the third sphere is the divine design. There's a power in this design. Let's go straight to this place. There is one strange character in the Bible. You know, very, very confusing character. He's a prophet, but not from Israel. And he's a heathen man. He's a Babylonian, by the way. And his, his name is Balaam. Balaam was used to calling the spirits. Now, we have this word divination, which we don't use much in modern world. I mean, for us, our terminology, we don't go there. But what is divination? Very simple. Divination is calling the spirits to come into you so that you will start prophesying or soothsaying. So divination means to access the spirit world so that you'll have advanced information to prophesy. That's divination. So Balaam was there. Now we, we as believers, we say in a different way, the gift of prophecy is nothing but when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you release words of prophecy. You get, you get advanced information. You get a revelation. You get a word of wisdom and word of knowledge. We operate that. Now, Balaam was able to do both. But I'm going to negate the second one. Secondly, he was so sharp and astute in his gifting, but not with his character. And no wonder in Numbers 31, he was killed together with the Midianites. And I want to tell it a little more strongly. Anointing is guarded by a thin wire called character. When character fails, anointing drains. Character hangs on a thin wire called character. Oh no, anointing hangs on a thin wire called character. Guard the character. No wonder, no wonder the wise men said, Proverbs 4.23, above all, guard your hearts. Bad company spoils good character. Jesus was anointed from the time he was born, but he had to learn obedience. Hebrews chapter 5 was it. He learned, Jesus had to learn. My goodness, Jesus had to learn 
Did you have to go to school of obedience, developing character to say, yes, Lord, your will, Lord. May God give us the grace. And so this ba Balaam was hired for a big sum of money to prophesy against the people of Israel. Let's take it up from there. At that time, Balak, son of Zippor, king of Moab, sent messengers to Balaam. Look at where he was. He was in, in, in the Euphrates River, in the land of his people. What was the message? Just the message. Let's, let's pause and yes, dwell on that message from Balak. A nation has come from Egypt. Fine. They have spread out over the countryside. Okay. But what are they doing? They're not training for weapons with warfare. They're not going on a battle cry. They're not getting onto their shooting exercises. They're setting up their camp in front of me. Aha. Uh -huh. That's all. What are they doing? They're setting up the camp. What is the setting up the camp? The design prescribed by the divine one. Oh, I see the tabernacle in the center. I see they put a tent there. I see their, their formations, their pattern of, of, of Levites around them. I see tribe by tribe they're sitting. I somehow getting scared, Balak says, looking at them. And what he says, look at this in verse 6. Please come and curse them for me. Use divination, bring some powers of the spirit and destroy them for me. Watch this. You, he says, let me take on the battle in the spirit first. He doesn't say come. He, I mean, he's a king. You can utilize your army. You can make all some phone calls around the nations. You can get your weapon and gallantry and, and, and evict the, the army, evict the Israelites. But no. Look at Balak says, he senses that there's a spiritual paradigm in this. And therefore, I need to deal the spirit world with the spirit world. I need to attack the spirit with the spirit. Therefore, let me hire a prophet because I need to deal with the spiritual. Then, then he says, because they're too strong for me, maybe then, after you finish your divination and do your spiritual business, maybe then I'll be able to defeat them in the natural. Let's open our eyes to see that this divine is spiritually powerful. A heathen king called Balak would say that this design is so powerful. Tabernacle in the middle, Levites around them. They're trying to do some blessings and they're settled as 12 tribes. This divine is so spiritually strong. I need to hire somebody in the spirit to break this. This is what has been happening from the garden to break the pattern of worship and the word. Why in the world you need a Bible study on a Friday, on a Wednesday? Why you need to cry on a Tuesday? Why you say family prayer? Why that design? Take the Bible and read. Why do you discipline your children in the word? Why that 11 to 1 o'clock Sunday school? What are we driving inside? We are driving a pattern of God that he prescribed for us. That's a pattern of victory. A heathen king could sense things in the spirit. And he said, unless I break the spiritual pattern, I will not get victory in the natural. Now let's take it up with Balak now. I know whomever you bless is blessed. Whomever you curse is cursed. Curse is you release words in the spirit. No wonder words are very powerful. Very, very powerful. Very powerful. Let me come down here. Then the messenger of the Lord now, this is, uh, I would title this as Gospel According to the Donkey. Or another title, when Balak, Balaam was made the donkey. Or when the donkey made the Balaam donkey, you know, whatever. 
26, the messenger of the Lord, suddenly you have the realm of the spirit opened up to Balaam. The messenger of the Lord, the angel of the Lord, look at the eyes are open in the spiritual world. Just the formation of the tent has released the spiritual world. Dear church, open your eyes to see the scripture there. It is not just a tent that was settled, a pattern of formations. There was the spiritual design. Before the battle could come, the eyes of the prophet was open to see the messenger of the Lord. Whenever you have in the Bible a messenger, the angel with drawn sword, that means God is warring for us. God of the angelic army is moving ahead. The warrior of warrior God is in swift action over his people. So the spirit world is engaged in a big battalion. And there's war happening in the heavenlies. Balaam is unable to recognize till, but the donkey is able to recognize. That's the beauty of this passage. Let's go down. The messenger of the Lord moved ahead. Can you see things move in the spirit when you're doing the formations of God? And stood in the narrower place. There's no room to go. Verse 27. When the donkey saw, donkey saw the spirit world. But the prophet could not see. Donkey saw that something is engaged in the realm of the spirit. When the donkey saw the messenger of the Lord. It lay down. Balaam was angry. Began to hit the donkey. Then the Lord made, made, made the donkey speak. The Lord made the donkey speak and said to Balaam, what have I done to, to make you hit me three times? Can I rephrase that? Why don't you see what I'm seeing? Can't you see that there's a huge angel, a warrior angel, an angel with drawn sword, some heavenly creature? Can't you see what I see? You claim to be a prophet. You claim to be a worshiper. You claim to access the Holy One. You claim to do this. Why can't you see what I see? And I want to tell us as a people of God, whenever this pattern of worship and word is formed in our life, there is the realm of the spirit that gets opened up. God begins to do things in the realm of the spirit. You see, we got to recognize that first rather than fighting our own battles. We use flesh and blood is not the way we fight. Yes, people could have cursed you. Yes, people would have said so many things ill against you. You'd have lost a million things. Like Job, you'd have buried 10 children in one day. But I want to tell you, we don't fight things in the natural. For the weapons of our warfare are not of this world, but they are mighty through God in pulling down the spiritual strongholds. Formations. Formations. You keep the tabernacle, you keep the Levitical priesthood, you keep doing what I say, but I will engage you in the heavenlies. These Moabites, they're trying to do something for you, but God is up in action. Balaam answered, you made a fool of me. Oh my goodness. A donkey made a fool of Balaam. If I had a sword in my hand, I'd killed. <laughs> the donkey is trying to say, you think you have a sword in your hand? I already saw a man with a sword in the hand. Can't you see what I see? It's in this formation, you see the presence of God in action. You see the power of God in action. Let me go down here. Numbers 24, before we get into that. <clears throat> Numbers 24 verse 1. A little careful, carefully. Just let's go a little slowly here. Now when Balaam saw, Balaam saw that it pleased the Lord to bless Israel, he did not 
resort to divination as other times. That means he was used to accessing the other spirit world, but turned his face to the wilderness. He did not access this other dark spirits. Now verse 2, when Balaam looked, watch this very carefully, when Balaam looked out and saw the encamped, saw Israel encamped tribe by tribe. Can I pause here and say, we saw the design and the pattern. He saw that, that worship word design. Suddenly the spirit of God came upon him. My goodness. When he saw the design, there was an activation in the spirit world. There was activation in the things of God. Somewhere he saw the design. He saw their encampment. He saw the pattern. Tabernacle in the middle. A kind of fire that's going. And incense up. Leviticals priesthood arranged neatly in four directions. Tribe by tribe. Tent by tent. Standard by standard. There was an arrangement. And the spirit of God was moving. Wow. Now, when it comes to divination, a little, little small information there for us. The word divination is nakash. And the word serpent also is nakash in Hebrew. Every time we use our tongue to curse, we operate with the forked tongue of a serpent. Psalm 140 verse 3, the poison of vipers is in their tongues, the psalmist says. Romans chapter 3, I think when Paul pulls out, and again another quote from Isaiah, he says that their mouths are open graves. The poison of vipers is on their tongues again. Whenever people use divination, cursing words, abusive words, foul language, no wonder Paul says in, 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 in is, it, is it Ephesians chapter 4 verse 29, let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth but only that which is helpful in building up people. Worshippers, let's cease to operate in this world of divination. No, we don't operate with a tongue of serpent. Poisonous words. Cussing words. Conniving words. Criticizing words. Corrupt words. No, we don't do that. If you want to grow in the gift of prophecy... If you want God to use you in the ministry, if you want to go into your offices and say a comforting word, cease to operate with divination, tongue of serpent. And let the spirit of God come upon you. And as you move, carry the presence of God. When you walk into your workplace, sitting on that chair, in your cabinet, somebody would come in and you would open your mouth and the spirit of God would just flow out gushing. Why? Because you are a person of the pattern. You were there that morning. You knew the presence. You knew the tabernacle. You knew that you got to form yourself with worship and word. And then you move out and people see you. They see the spirit world. Amen. Look at the prophecy. They are in dry desert. When, 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 when he sees, Balaam sees the tent. He says, how beautiful are your tents? Mind you, this is wilderness, dry desert. How beautiful are your tents? The Spirit of God would come on him. And this is the first thing he said. How beautiful are your tents, Jacob? The places where you live, your tents spread like rivers. There's no river there. But he sees things in the spirit world. Israel, I look at you and how beautiful are your formation, your pattern, your design is amazing. 
Your places where you live, Israel, is amazing. Your tents spread like rivers, like gardens by a river, like aloes planted by the Lord. Can you see the formation is, is symbolic and, and there's a similitude to the garden? It's amazing that we get Isaiah 29 verse 6 for this year, budding and blossoming and filling with fruit. What do you mean by that? It's a design. What do you mean by bud and blossom? What do you mean by garden of God? What do you mean by that? Keep the pattern alive. Get the tabernacle in the middle, the presence of God. Carry the presence of God. Worship and get that word. Let there be that shamaring, abad, so that we'll understand the pattern of God. I'll skip verse 7 and go to 8. The God who brought them out of Egypt has the strength of a wild bull. He will devour the nations that are his enemies, crush the bones and pierce them with arrows. He sees the formation and he sees things in the spirit. Balaam. Oh my goodness. When I see this tent and formation, I see God. I see the strength of God. I see the arrows of God. I see the power of God working. My goodness. Balak, you can't do anything. There is no curse. There's no divination. There's no black magic and sorcery that will prevail because of the formations. God is in the middle. You can't do anything. He has blessed this country. You can no way penetrate this formation. Can I humbly submit to everybody here? Get the centrality of worship and the word in your life. This is the secret of the power of God. It's another way of trying to tell the children, read your Bible and pray every day. This is the secret. It's a divine spiritual formation, undeniable power of God that operates when people get right into the prison like Paul and Silas. You have nothing to do, wounded from head to toe, bleeding and flesh oozing out. Yet you have a song of praise. You know the centrality of the presence of God. Change begin to fall. Things begin to move. The foundations begin to shake. Why? There is a presence and the power of God in that pattern of design. Don't miss it. Don't engage. If people are backstabbing you, don't engage in flesh and blood. You have lost some things from your family members. Don't engage in flesh and blood. Get on to the pattern of worship. Get on to lifting a voice. Get on to lifting your praise. Get on to singing. Get on to reciting. Get on to opening the word and reading it day by day. There's a pattern of victory there. Amen. Praise the Lord. Whenever they used to come as a pattern, I just want to take out this picture to say that Balaam was seeing the green side when they were in the brown side. Right in the desert, he was able to prophesy over and say, God is in their midst. This is what they're going to be, a land of milk and honey. Something is flowing in this pattern. The day you stop this pattern, the Bible says they lost the promised land. You get back to the wilderness again. Worship engages the divine realm. Worship is not natural. We sang four songs today. You sing songs at home. You open up the song books or you play the keyboard, whatever. Whenever we worship, we engage a different realm. A realm that's so powerful, the realm of God. It is said that the movement of God in the tabernacle is similar to God's move right in the middle of the garden. He's to come and move around mankind, engage with man. And every time we come to worship, it's not a sing-song service, it's beyond that. 
I dread every time I come because we engage with God. It's not singing and screaming away a couple of numbers. No, it is, it is the breaking through of the spirit world into the natural, right into your situation, right into your family, right into your marriage, right into your work, right into your destiny. There is that, that, that inbreaking of the spirit of God. That is worship because the design facilitates the inbreaking of the spirit of God. No wonder pastor keeps telling the three pillars of the church. One of them is worship. Oh, I pity when we, when we lost the tongue for worship. Oh, how sad when the saints don't know what to say in the presence of God. I pray that we will be a church who is vibrant to operate in this design of being royal priesthood. In closing, I, I'll hurry up and come to, to one place. So we saw the tabernacle, we saw the tent. Now we have another T. Um, just slowly land with that and, and then bring things <clears throat> to a close here. Joshua chapter 3. They almost 39 years are up. They're just crossing a, a Shittim, uh, a place. They settled it. They finished as, what's that? Is it uh, Zarid Valley? They're coming the last stop a little bit. They're entering the promised land. And so they need to cross this huge river. Early in the morning, Joshua and all these Israelites camped from uh, out of uh, Shittim, went over. They camped, camped. So you know the formation before crossing the river. After three days, the officers went through the, throughout the camp, giving them the orders. So the formation is still alive. When you see the Ark of the Covenant, the Levitical priest carrying it, you are to move out from your positions. Follow the presence. Follow the pattern. Follow the design. Verse 4. Then you will know which way to go. You miss the presence, you miss the way. You miss the Ark, you miss the way. Then you will know which way to go since you have never been this way before. This presence of God will trailblaze and will create a way right through the wilderness. The presence of God will help you reach your destiny. Follow the ark, the officers said. Keep a distance or else you will die. Verse 5. Joshua told the people, consecrate yourself for tomorrow. The Lord will do amazing things. You follow the presence of God, amazing things will come. We don't know how, we don't know when, but these things move in the realm of the spirit. And look at the pattern there. They didn't, the, the, the whole idea is keep the design, follow, maintain your positions, allow the priest to go first with the pattern, and then the victory will come. Joshua said to the Israelites, come out here and listen to what the Lord says. Okay, I've got a design from the Lord. I'm just underlining the same things that we heard. Verse 10, this is how you will know. This is how you will know. This is how you will know that the living God is among you. There's a testimony that's going to come. People, God has spoken to me. I received a design. This is how we will know. You will know that there's a living God among you. And that he will certainly drive out the Canaanites. This is how you will know. How do you know? See the ark. It will go ahead of you into Jordan. Then choose 12 men. Follow a pattern. God works in patterns. There's a design when it comes to God. We think in the flesh. There needs to be a supernatural occurrence for Jordan to split open. 
and for the people to march through. There is a crossing over that needs to take place. Verse 12. Now then choose 12 men from the 12 tribes, one from each tribe. As soon as the, as soon as the priest carry the ark of God, set the foot into Jordan, the waters flowing downstream will cut off, will stand up. How do you know that the living God is among you? You will know the living God is among you when you have followed the design. The priest will come. They will step into the Jordan and then something will happen to Jordan. Then choose the men one by one. Follow that pattern and get inside. The moment you desecrate and destroy the pattern, the whole plan of God is decayed. Follow the pattern and you will see God performing something awesome in your life. Can I challenge us? There are things that we need to cross over. There are things that we need to achieve as a church. There are things that we need to reach as far as our calling and destiny is concerned. But things will come into place and fruition only when we keep the design of the presence of God. Tomorrow I'm going to do amazing things but if you spoil the design, I'm sorry. I will not bypass the design. I will not go beyond the boundary of my word. I want the priest. I want the presence. I move with the Levitical priesthood. Let me challenge us. Don't miss your priesthood. Don't desecrate your calling as a worship priest in your home. God moves in that pattern. Joshua and the battle of Jericho. The gates of Jericho were tightly shut, securely barred. No one went in, no one came out. How to battle, how to fight, God gives them a strategy. Don't think in the flesh, Joshua. Forget about all your formations. Yes, I know you just won the battle here and there. I know you've been doing 31 kings, probably 30 kings now. I know you have got some, some huge experiences, Joshua. You're a warrior. But I want to tell you, when it comes to Jericho and the wall, there's a different pattern. Don't go by the pattern of the flesh, Joshua. I want you to follow the same pattern that I've been teaching and underlining. There are some rivers to cross for us. There are some walls that need to be flattened for us to do something for God in this one life that we have. Then the Lord said to Joshua, see, Begin to see the way I see Joshua. Don't approach the king. Don't send your battalions. Don't do this army business. I've got another pattern for you to follow. You will get the victory. Because I do things, see things in the spirit. Okay, now let's go on here. <clears throat> see, I have delivered Jer Jericho into your hands. I mean, God advanced information. Along with the king and fighting men, everything is yours. But on the outside, I see it shut. Lord, how long the wall is shut, the door is shut. These walls are too huge. That the scholars say that five chariots used to, used to take their route on top of the walls. We can't see anybody. We have no one to contact. No one comes in, no one goes out. But mind you, when the wall comes out, you have Rahab inside. You have a destiny. You have the future. You have the lineage of Jesus Christ. You have some deliverances. You have God has placed something to you. Unless the wall comes down, things don't move. And God says, there are certain things that you need to do in the spirit to see the things in the natural. March around the city once. With armed men for six days. Have the priest carry the trumpets of ram's horn. 
shofar, trumpets, ram's horn, front of the ark. Get the ark, get the trumpets, get the priesthood. Seven days you march down, city seven times. And every time, watch this word trumpets, trumpets, plural, please. Plural, 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 trumpets. Keep blowing the trumpets. There's something about the trumpets. Make the sound, keep blowing the trumpets. When trumpets are blown, the air is released again into the sphere, into the atmosphere. When the sound is there, engage. Joshua, engage the spirit world. Engage the atmosphere. Things might be shut. You might not see. Don't speak a word. Don't do anything. But engage things in the spirit. Engage the trumpets. Verse 5. When you hear them sound a long blast of the trumpets, have the whole army shout and the wall will collapse. Fantastic. Follow the design. Point number one, get some armed men. Point number two, get priests with ram's horn. They'll blow the trumpets continually. Point three, get the Ark of the Covenant. Point four, get some unarmed men to, as a rare guard. Station them. Follow this pattern. What about army? What about knives? What about our exercises? What about routines? What about using this? No, no, no. What about getting help from other? No, this is the pattern. Get the worship, get the word, get the ark, get the presence. The, the more you move around Jericho, you engage the spirit world. There's something that moves from God. It is as, as if God is moving. Let me come down to highlight one feature here as we close. After Joshua spoke, The seven priests with seven horns, ram's horns, started marching in the presence of God. God was in their midst and the trumpets were being blown. God was in their midst and trumpets was being blown. Something very significant here. Then they kept marching. The ark of the Lord followed behind them. Some of the armed men marched in front of the priests with horns and some behind the ark with priests continually blowing the horns. Keep blowing the horn. Keep blowing the horn. Get the priest, keep blowing the horn and let there be the ark of God behind. Hold on, I want to show you something. Do not shout, do not talk, not a single word till I tell you, then you shout. So Joshua said, you keep blowing the horn, I will get a signal from God. Once the moment the signal comes, then all of you shout. Till that time, just keep blowing the horn. Let's now come here to this place. <clears throat> The, 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 the cusp there, the, the, the defining moment is Joshua 6.20. So the people shouted, noise level is increasing. The trumpets, plural, S. I've got a trumpet here with, with, with me. You know, there's one trumpet at home. And this is my brother's and I'm trying to blow for a long time. Anybody want to try? You're welcome. And uh, these are three. So let me hold the trumpet and, and, and say Joshua 6.20. So the people shouted, loud sound. Second, trumpets are blown trumpets mind you big sound people shouting trumpets are blown look at the next line as soon as the people heard the sound of the trumpet singular whose trumpet is that come back again people are shouting trumpets are continuously being blown suddenly how in the world you will hear another trumpet sound and then the people shouted with a great shout. Already shouting, trumpets are being blown. Suddenly you have one single note of the trumpet which is very loud. That's the command of God. Could it be that God himself was blowing the trumpet? I want to show you two verses for that. 
Could it be that in the presence of God, there was another sound of God? Psalm 47 verse 5, God has ascended amidst the shouting of people. God has ascended amid the sounding of the trumpet. Wow. And the walls begin to fall flat. Could it be that God himself was blowing a trumpet there? Could it be the sound of God merged in unison, in chorus, synchronizing with the symphony there, with the sound of humankind? There was the war that was taken on the spirit and manifested in the natural without even human weaponry. Walls came down. The first mention of the word trumpet is Exodus 19. And this is not the trumpet of humankind. All the people... Three million people assembled at Mount Sinai. And the Bible says, when the voice of the trumpet sounded long, mind you, there were no trumpets that time. When God came down, earthquake, billows of smoke, thunder, and the voice of the trumpet. And the trumpet sound began to grow louder and louder. And Moses spoke, how can you speak when the trumpet sound is growing louder and louder? And God began to thunder his reply. My goodness. Could it be the sound of God? The last reference of the trumpet is Zechariah 9.14. And the Lord shall be seen over them. His arrow shall go forth as a lightning. And the Lord shall blow the trumpet. NLT says the Lord will sound the ram's horn and attack. The blowing of the trumpet and the shooting of the arrow and attack goes at the same time. Look at the design. This beyond humankind. Wow. There's some mystery how the wall fell down. It's supernatural. It was engaging the spirit world and manifested. And the walls cracked and they came down. God's design is temple shaped and garden like. God's design is temple-shaped and garden-like. That design is never goes off. Even in the book of Revelation, you have them. Therefore, takeaway for a Sunday, a Sunday takeaway, point number one, carry the presence. Second, guard the presence. Third, engage the presence. Carry the presence. Carry the presence of God. Never miss to be the temple of God. Let the temple have that aroma, that incense. Never cease worshipping him. Second, guard the presence. Don't contaminate your spirit. Don't contaminate your body. Beware of things because the design requires guardians. When God evicted Adam and Eve from the garden, he put in guardian cherubs because his presence needs to be guarded. Third, engage the presence of God right in the midst of battle, in the midst of evil, in the midst of issues of life, in the midst of Bala coming in, Jericho coming in, Jordan coming in. Always get to know there is the tabernacle, there is the tent, and there's a trumpet. Shall we close our eyes? Commit ourselves to the design of God.
is the design still alive in your family, in your own life? I want to tell you that design is so powerful to the bringing down of the strongholds. That design is a prescription for Christian victory. That design engages the other powers, the spiritual powers, so that we will not walk by seeing things inside, but we will walk by faith. I request pastor to take over.